Pastor, are you ready to come bless the people? I am that I am. Isn't Jesus amazing? I like that verse so much. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. What does it take to be the righteousness of God? What does it take to be counted as the righteous? What does that mean? Well, if you've had the blood of Jesus applied to your life, then you qualify, right? You are the righteous. So look at your neighbor and tell him, I'll never be shaken. Let's do it again. Look at your other neighbor. Say, I'll never be shaken. I'm on unshakable ground. I'm on the rock. And he doesn't shake. Sometimes you just got to talk to yourself, right? Use the word. Hallelujah. It is good to be here tonight in a place full of faith and life, hope, joy, victory, world-conquering faith. That's what we have here with us tonight. Open your Bible to John chapter 8, or maybe they can put it up on the screen, and... um, You can go in your Bible to Luke chapter 6. But up on the screen, put up John chapter 8 and verse 31. Verses 31 and 32 are what we've been using as our our jumping off place for our text in the series that we're in, in in being a true disciple of Jesus. And tonight we're going to do just a little bit of review and then we'll go further into what we've been talking about recently and that's becoming like Jesus. And, and, and being a disciple, what that would mean. So, since we don't have anyone back there, I'll just read to you. Alright, better yet, just go to John 8. There, already. Alright. John 8 and verse 31. Now, in the King James... Uh, let me change that. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you continue in My Word, you really are My disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've been learning what that means to be a true disciple. We've been looking at that. And I remember I asked you the question the very first night that we started the series, what would it look like if Church of the Word International was full of disciples, of true disciples of Jesus? How might that impact our community? How might it impact the state of Pennsylvania if we were a church full of disciples? And, and we see here where he says, if you continue it now he's speaking we saw there's a difference between a disciple and a believer he's speaking to believers to those who believed on him but then he makes the distinction between if you continue in my word then you really are my disciples then you're my true disciples and he div- makes a dividing line between just those who believe and those who do because there is a difference anyone can believe it's extremely base level the demons believe but they have no salvation and they do no good works, right? And, and so we've been examining that difference and, and looking and asking the question, well, what is a disciple? And we see that a disciple is, is a follower, a follower of Jesus in particular. We're not looking to draw disciples unto ourselves. We want to draw them unto Jesus. 
And we saw that a disciple is someone who accepts the instruction given to him and makes it his rule of conduct. Makes it his rule of conduct. I remember, to give you an example of the difference between a believer and a disciple, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are believers, but they're not disciples. And I used to be one. For years, I was a believer. I had Jesus. I believed in the blood of Jesus. I believed that what He did for me was for me. However, He wasn't my master. I wasn't taking orders from Him. He was my fire insurance, but He wasn't my Lord. And I like to explain to people usually this way, is there's a difference between Him being your Savior and your Lord. I, he was my Savior, but I wasn't really, you know, I'd put forth some effort to walk in His Word, but if it didn't work out, well, it didn't work out. Once He became my Lord, once let's say it a different way, once I became a disciple, now everything revolved around what does He want what, is he, what, what would He have me do? And that makes all the difference. We saw that the goal of being a disciple, go to Luke chapter 6. We'll look at Luke 6 verse 40. The goal of being a disciple of Jesus is to become like Him. Someone say to become like Him. In the King James Version, I'll read that to you first. It says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The Christian Standard Bible reads, The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. A disciple is not over the one who's training them. An apprentice isn't doesn't rise to a higher level than the one training them. Jill, you're a math teacher, right? Okay. So what grades do you teach? Fifth through eighth. Well, they, the, you've got your hands full then. So if we take one of our eighth grade students and she teaches them from fifth grade all the way, all through the years until that student reaches eighth grade, that student isn't going to know more than their teacher is going to know at that level. The only way for the student to know more than their math teacher knows is to go find another teacher that's going to take them to another level. Now they would maybe know more, right? But up until that point, even when they graduate the eighth grade, they haven't risen above Teacher Jill, right? Miss Jill. I don't know what they call you over there. Miss Lavenise, there we go. They're not going to be greater than that unless they go get instruction that would take them further than that. Well, here in this case, we have one that there is no greater. He is the Master. He is perfection. And once we are trained, fully trained, like Him, then we become like Him. Now, here's the question. Should we be like Jesus? Yeah. You guys thought it was a trick question for a little bit. Should we be like Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is it possible to be like Jesus? Yes. Are you like Jesus? The yeses are getting fewer and fewer. All right. Let, let, me, let me explain. When you became born again, your spirit person on the inside, the real you, was born again, renewed completely. 
But your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, your reason, your logic, your character, that did not get born again. It's still the same you as it was right before you made that declaration of Jesus being your Lord. Your body did not get reborn again. If you had an ache or a pain somewhere, you might still have it. Now there's redemption for that as well, praise the Lord. But your body didn't get born again. You have to receive healing by faith now, right? Well, here, what we're looking at is when I ask the question, should we be like Jesus? I'm not talking spiritually because if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're, you're already standing in His likeness. You, you're already His image on the spirit side of it. What I'm asking about is how about the soulish realm? The mind, the will, the emotions, your character, your actions. Are they like Jesus? Sometimes. See, now we're getting some honesty in the house. Is it possible to be like Jesus in that realm? You know how many people think it's not? A lot of people. They say things like, well, nobody's perfect. Oh, I've heard that in this house a lot. What do they mean? Nobody's perfect. Well, let's say it a different way. Well, I'm not Jesus. No, you're not. Don't ever confuse that. But you're supposed to be like Him. He would not have told us to be like something that it was impossible for us to be. If He tells us, be something, then we can be it. Be holy, for I am holy. Be imitators of God. Ephesians 5.1 Again and again, we are told to be like the Master. So if He tells us to be like that, that means we have the ability and the power and the grace to do it. Not just on a spiritual level, but also in a soulish level. And that's where we're going to press into tonight. Let's not make excuses for ourselves to walk after the flesh or to blow it. You know, in Romans 8, we read this last week, but it says that we were predestined to be conformed to the image. We were predestined. Before the foundation of the earth, the Lord said, I know you. I know you're going to serve me. And you are to look like me and to act like me and to walk like me. In order that, it says, in order that he might be, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. It was God's plan for you to be one of His children. To be a brother to Jesus. Even after the garden fiasco, even after all through thousands of years fiasco, and watching humanity destroy itself, watching the worst of humanity, we can only imagine God has seen it all. Even after all of that, He's still patient enough to say, now wait, Kevin wasn't in yet, we're going to wait on Kevin. Alex wasn't in yet. We're going to wait on Alex. Brianna wasn't in yet. We're going to wait on Brianna. I want them as my child. How amazing is that? that? And not just to be his child, but to be in the image of his son. So I'll ask the question again. How much, in the soulish realm, how much like Jesus are we right now? Is it, are you 80% like Jesus? Um, maybe 50%. Or 20%. Or maybe 2%. Don't be skim milk. That's just water posing as milk. You know, something that is not. 
But what percent, and, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand or shout out percentages, but be real with yourself. Where do you see yourself on that scale of how much like Jesus am I? And should we be content to stay where we're at? See, that's what a believer is. A believer is just content to stay where they're at and really nothing's going to change, but thank God for my fire insurance. A disciple is every day actively pursuing to become more like the Master. And as soon as they recognize, as soon as they see an area where they're not like Him, then they change. Boom. I told you a while ago to be the worst sinners that you know. <laughs> Remember that? Be the worst sinner that you know. What I mean is you're really bad at it. As soon as you realize you've sinned somewhere, you repent, you change out of it, and you walk the way you should, you're just really bad at sinning. You're no good at it. 1 John 2, 5 and 6 say this. It says, whoever keeps his word. Whoever keeps whose word? His word. Whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. That is how we know we are in him. Who? The one that keeps his word. Now check this out. The one who says he remains in him. Do you say that you remain in in the Lord? The one that says that should walk just as he walked. Should walk just as he walked. Jesus was our example. He's our standard. He is the standard. Not just a standard. The standard. Jesus was our standard of of holiness. Don't allow man-made rules of holiness to be your standard. Jesus is the standard. Measure up to Him. You know, He came as a man. He demonstrated the way to live, the way to walk. And He didn't do it with an unfair advantage. Philippians says He emptied Himself. And so he came, he walked as a man. He had the same opportunities to miss it that you have. And yet he did it without sin the entire time. Now a lot of people, just like they don't believe that we're able to be like Jesus and that no one's perfect, they also believe that Jesus had a leg up on everyone. They're usually the ones who say, yeah, but that was Jesus. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah, but that was Jesus. Well, he had to walk in faith just like you and I do. The temptations that came to him, he said he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are. And if he could not have chosen to do the temptation and to sin, it's not a real temptation. How many of you are being tempted right now to eat an Oreo cookie? Anyone? How about now? See, now I'm seeing hands go up. No? Thank you to whoever put this up here. Why am I saying that? Because it's only a temptation if you have the ability to do it. Like, no matter how hard I try, I cannot tempt Kevin to go to Mars. Because he has no ability. It's just not a temptation. It's only a temptation if you have the ability to do it and if you'd have the desire to have that outcome. And the way to build desire is you show it to them. You look at it. You know, I heard, I heard Apostle Dale say one time the fastest way to overcome temptation at the, uh, the, the dessert counter in the diner is just don't look at it. Just don't look at it. 
I said, I thought the fastest way was just to get one, and now you're not tempted anymore. <laughs> but don't do that with sin. That's only for dessert. Oh, boy. Going on further in talking about Jesus, you know, yes, He was the Son of God. Yes, He was the only Son of God. Now He's the firstborn, and you are also a Son of God. Whether you're male or female, you're a son. And we, have, we can be like Him, because the Word says that we can. And I don't think anyone in here is without sin, or has lived their life without sin, is what I mean. If you're in here tonight, and you're, you're in, in sin right now, just repent and quit it and knock it off. Go a different direction. But I'm saying all of us in our past, we've sinned. Jesus did not sin. He met every criteria. He faced every temptation. He, he went the entire way. And He was the standard. And then, he, and then we're supposed to be like Him. You know, in, remember the story at the Gate of Beautiful where Peter and John, they raised up the lame man. And then people, a crowd gathers. There's this ruckus. How'd this happen? So they begin to preach. And... It ends up in a court hearing the next day. And this is what they said. They said, when they observed that the boldness of Peter and John, when they saw how bold they were, and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Other people recognized they've been with Him. Why? Would they say that? Because they talk like Him. They walk like Him. They act like Him. They, they look like Him. And it wasn't their training. It wasn't their, you know, because they were highly educated or a Pharisee of the Pharisees. All those things. They were trained alright, but not in those ways. They were disciples of Jesus and that discipleship on them was evident to those that were looking at them. So if I ask the question, how much, what percentage are you like Jesus? Let me ask it a different way. Is there any part of you that needs to change to become more like Him? I mean, I'm going to be the first to raise my hand. Absolutely. So look at your neighbor. Say, you need to change. <laughs> you need to change. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about how to become like Him. I sense that some people meant that more than other people. I don't know. <laughs> how to become like Him. Tonight we're going to look at three areas to become like Him. Or as a disciple, three areas that if we'll grow in these areas, we'll become more like Him. Number one is revelation. We need revelation. We need to be able to see Him as He is so that we can be like Him. We'll look at Scriptures for that. Number two, we're going to look at correction, at discipline. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we'll spend a little bit of time in there because if you're going to become like Him, you need correction. And you need discipline. And then number three is transformation. To be transformed. And part of the way that we're going to look at how that transformation takes place, but we have a responsibility in it. We are to cleanse ourselves and purify ourselves. So much today... Christianity is this, um, Brother Moore calls it a no-fault Christianity. No-fault religion. They just want God to do everything for them. 
rather than actually doing it for themselves. I remember I had a young man one time come up to me right after I was ordained, you know, a couple months later. He wanted to be free of temptation. Now, I had heard that there was another minister that had done this, and I thought this was great. I had heard this just several weeks earlier. And, uh, and, and I think it might have been Lester Summerall. And if you, if you know anything about Brother Lester, he was pretty unvarnished and just said it pretty bluntly. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to borrow that. And if anyone ever asks me this question, to pray for them to be free from temptation, I'm going to do the same thing. So sure enough, here we are. He asked me to be free of temptation. Uh, he, wants to, he wants me to pray for that. I said, sure. I laid hands on him. I said, kill him, Lord. <laughs> what? You said you wanted to be free from temptation, and Jesus promised we would always be faced with that while we're here in the earth. So the only way out of that is for you to die. Shall we keep praying? No, no, okay. Um, and so then we found a way to pray to get him into victory. Because that's really what he's after, is to walk in victory. We can have an altar call after we're done, if you'd like. It's like the <laughs> pastor, he asks, he says, who wants to go to heaven? And little Johnny, he wouldn't raise his hand. Finally, he said, little Johnny, you don't want to go to heaven? He says, well, yeah, I do, but I thought you were getting up a load to go right now. Heaven's going to be amazing. Let's talk about Revelation. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's look, uh, we'll begin in verse 15. Now the context is, he was comparing how Moses' face would glow when he would talk with the Lord, and how he had to have it veiled, and so he's making these comparisons, and so we'll just kind of jump into the middle of it. He's speaking of the ethnic Jews here of their day. In verse 15, he says, Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Turns to the Lord, another way to say that is repents. Repent means to change direction, to change course, right? That's what repentance is. Right now, I'm walking this direction. Well, I repent from walking this direction. I'm going this direction now. And that's what repentance is. Repentance, you, may, you may experience sorrow in repentance, but repentance is not sorrow. Repentance is change of direction. Now, if you have no sorrow for your sin, you should examine your heart. Why is that? Why is what would be hurtful to the Lord, not hurtful to you. But repentance is not sorrow and weeping and wailing and snotting all over the altar. Repentance is going different. Being different. And changing course. Well, what does it say here? It says that whenever a person turns, that's repentance, to the Lord, the veil is removed from off of their heart. Now revelation can come in. Now understanding and wisdom can flow freely within. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is. Another way of saying this is revelation. When the veil is removed, that's revelation. Something is being revealed that was prior hidden to you. Without rev everything revolves around revelation. Everything. You can't even become born again if you don't have the revelation that you need a Savior. Revelation is at the front of every breakthrough. 
It's the doorway to the breakthrough. If you don't have the revelation that the Lord wants to heal you of sickness or disease, guess what? You won't even ask Him for it. If you don't have the revelation that the Lord wants you to be blessed and prosperous and be used mightily for every good grace and every good work, then you probably won't walk in that. Verse 18, We all with unveiled faces. That means revelation. We all with unveiled faces are looking, looking, say looking, as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. Another way of saying this is they are reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. They are reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. And they are being transformed. Now, I told you we're going to talk about three things. Revelation, correction, and transformation. We're going to talk about those three things in that order, but we're also going to talk about all three things within each one of those. Because they're all tied together. You can't really get away from it. Where you find one, you'll find the others. I mean, there's choices, right? If you have a revel- if you receive correction and then you receive revelation, you could still choose to not be transformed by it. But if it's going to be God's way, it's always going to have the three connected. So right here, we're being transformed into 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 what? The same image. The same image, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, let's, let's rephrase this. Let's look at this. So when you have revelation, and you begin to see Him as He is, and you reflect the glory of the Lord, it transforms you to where you begin to look more and more like Him. You begin to act more and more like Him. You begin to say talk more and more like Him. You begin to look like Him. Revelation will lead you into that. And it will take you from glory to glory. From glory to glory. Let's keep reading. We're talking about revelation, about seeing. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the Word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, lack of revelation, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, that would be Satan, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's whole goal is to keep the unbelievers from seeing. From having the revelation of who Jesus is and of seeing the image that Jesus is the image of God and to becoming that. He goes on and says, we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, revelation, has shown in our hearts, that's revelation, to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Revelation and illumination aren't the same thing, but they, they work together. It's illuminated. There's light there. Now you can see it. It's revealed to you. 
We're talking about being true disciples and becoming like Christ. Is it possible to be like Jesus? Well, what we need if we want to be like Jesus, go over to 1 John chapter 3. To be like Jesus, we need to be able to see Him clearly as He is. 1 John chapter 3, look here in verse 1. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. That's awesome. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. So, what he's going to say, he's talking about now, not some future far away day. He says, what we will be has not yet been revealed. There is coming a day where things are going to be much better than now. Right? It's not yet been revealed. But in Ephesians, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that through the ages He's going to reveal His glory to us. So he goes on and he says, Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. When He appears, we will be like Him. And now it gives the why. Because we will see Him as He is. When that day comes, when we're face to face with our Lord, our, our King of Kings, when we're face to face and we see Him as He truly is, then, then we are going to be completely like Him. Because we see Him as He is. Okay, so now let's back this whole thing up to today, to now, being children of God. You being like Him is dependent upon you seeing Him more clearly than before. If you want to be a true disciple of Jesus, you need to be asking the Lord for revelation to see Jesus as He is. So that you can walk and be like as He is. We will be like Him. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you will be like Him. Because you will see Him as He is. He goes on, he says, and everyone has this hope. This hope. What's the hope? To be like Him. To see Him as He is. Everyone has this hope in Him. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Purifies Himself just as He is pure. Let's keep reading. This just keeps getting better. Everyone who commits sin... Okay, I had, I had said earlier that we need to stop with making excuses for ourselves, not walking as He walked. And don't anymore say, well, I'm not Jesus, or, unless you somehow think you are Jesus Himself. And I was just reading the other day about some clown out of Siberia that thinks he's a reincarnate Jesus Christ, and he got all these followers, and there's all kinds of you know, horrible things happening in his cult. And he's clearly, he's not Jesus. Just in case some of you were wondering. Not him. Jesus said in the end times, there's going to be people claiming they're me. Don't, don't pay him any attention. Alright, so we're not going to make excuses for ourselves, but neither are we going to be going around and saying things like, well, nobody's perfect. Well, we're called to be perfect. We're called to be fully mature. That's what the word perfect means. It doesn't mean without mistake. I mean, some of you might want to stone me for this, but I don't think Jesus was mistake-free. 
He was sinless. But there's a difference between making a mistake and committing a sin. As a human being, this is what a mistake looks like. Hand me the hammer. You didn't hear correctly and you handed them a screwdriver. No, not the screwdriver, the hammer. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you correctly. That's a mistake. I know that Jesus didn't know everything. In fact, I can even point to one in the Bible. He walked down to the fig tree, it says, to see if there were figs on it. He didn't know. He went expecting figs and there weren't figs. Showing His humanity. That He walked the earth as a human being. But what He did next, He also said that you could do. Spoke to the fig tree. He wasn't doing anything that you and I cannot do. Alright, verse 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He was revealed so that He might take away sins. And there is no sin in Him. No sin. Jesus never sinned. He was the sinless, spotless Son of God. Verse 6, everyone who remains in Him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen. There's that word seen, that revelation word. Has not seen Him or known Him. Now, in case you start getting nervous, you go, well, (laughs) I became born again, but I know I've sinned since then. So was that fake? No. The word remains, it's the word abides, but it's present ongoing tense. It's a verb. There's two verbs all through this passage, but here they're, they're both in the present ongoing tense. Currently happening. Sin is the other one all through this passage that is that way. It's practicing sin. It's habitually sinning. It's not you fell, knew you sinned, and came out of it. It's you're just, this is your mode of operation. Okay? So, you can, you can, we could read it that way. Everyone who remains in Him, see that's ongoing, does not practice sin. Everyone who practices sin has not seen Him or known Him. They haven't had the revelation of who He is. Because the Word said, as we see Him, we will be like Him. Well, clearly, if you're just practicing sin, you're not looking at Him. Because that's not what He does. You will be like what you look at. What you behold is what you become. Your mind, whether you're a believer or a complete heathen, your mind works in images, in pictures. Your mind's language is pictures. Right? If I, if I say snow-capped mountain, you picture a snow-capped mountain. Right? If I say Sahara Desert, you picture sand dunes and desert. Your mind works in pictures. And so what you look at is what you will become if you look at it long enough. Even the garden is a perfect example. We don't know how long it was between when the serpent showed up and tempted her till she actually ate. It could have been several weeks. We don't know. All that we know is the serpent asked some questions and suggested some things, maligning God's character. And it says, after she had seen that it looked good and was pleasing to the eye, looked like it'd be good to eat at, it may have all happened in one afternoon. I don't know. But usually, that's not how big things like that happen. People, they don't have a good relationship with their spouse and then just trip and fall and in one afternoon go commit adultery and had never considered it before. 
usually that kind of thing will start, it's a progression. It grows and it grows and they crack and they, they open the door a little bit and let a little bit in and they harbor it in their mind and they think about it and they see pictures of it in their mind and pretty soon they take more steps that way until it's full-blown adultery. It doesn't just happen at the snap of a finger. Well, I don't know about Eve how long that took, but we know that she looked and <laughs> she looked like the dessert cake case, you know, looked and saw that it was good, for, good to eat. And she looked long enough that she took some. Well, it's the same way if we look at Jesus. And if we start making Him our focus point and, and what we're looking at and what we're, we're examining and He's filling up our windshield, we're going to become more and more and more like Him. You know, there's statistics out there that say that your life is the sum total of your five closest friends. Your finances... If you took your five closest friends, some, I read one that was ten closest, I read more that were five closest. If you took your five closest friends, averaged out their incomes, that's your income. If you took your five closest friends and took the average of their marriages, that's your marriage. It's amazing to me how often in a close-knit group of friends, when one couple divorces, all of a sudden it spreads like a cancer and a whole bunch of them divorce. There is something about who you associate with that you become like them. I started, you know, when I started dating Jen, she lived in Ohio, I lived in Missouri, and she, because her brothers and her dad were Cincinnati Red, Reds fans in baseball, God forbid, right? Thank God His mercy is new every morning and He forgave her for that. But she liked the Cincinnati Reds. And then I came along and she saw a better way, the St. Louis Cardinals. But my point is, is it wasn't long until she started being a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. And it was for two reasons. I was filling up her windshield. I liked the St. Louis Cardinals, so therefore they have to be good because she thinks a whole lot of me. So she begins to want to cheer for the same thing that I like and cheer for. Yeah, we can't be unequally yoked. <laughs> Don't we have like a Cowboys fan and a Giants fan sitting over here? A, a couple? <laughs> he says she refuses to repent. <laughs> But my point is, is what you behold and what you esteem, you will become like them. Even to the point of liking their sports team. Like Jen did. Even to the point of, you know, Jesus, He did this, and so I, I want to do that too. Jesus raised people from the dead. Lord, put me in a place where there's dead people that need raised and prompt me to do it and I'll do it. Right? To be like Him to be like Him, that we look at Him. Go over to... Actually, we're not done here. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, let's read that again. Everyone who remains in Him does not sin. That's habitually. Everyone who sins, habitually sins, has not seen Him or known Him. So no revelation. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin or practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed 
revealed, that's revelation language, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God was revealed to destroy the devil's works. And if we're going to be like Him and we're shaped into His image, that means that where you and I go, the devil's work gets destroyed. Verse 9, everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Again, that word means practice sin. Because his seed remains in him. He is not able to practice sin because he has been born of God. Born of God. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12. What are you focusing on? What you look at, what you fill your mind with, you will become those things. I remember when I was, I was young and me and my cousin, we would go dirt biking. I had just moved out to Colorado. It was before I was married. We were living together. And in his bedroom, we, we both had to dirt bike. We'd go dirt biking. We both started golfing at about the same time. And in my bedroom, I put up pictures of dirt bikes on the walls and dirt bikes doing tricks and things around dirt bikes. In his bedroom, he put up posters of golf. So we have two different visions and images happening here. It wasn't too terribly long, and I was dirt biking more and more. He was dirt biking less and less because he was golfing more and more. Hey, do you want to go riding with us? No, I'm going to go out and go golfing. See, what he was looking at and thinking about is the images he's putting up. You know, that's why vision boards are, are something that people use. I've seen vision boards be ridiculous, but I've also, vision boards have their place. What's your vision? What are you keeping in front of you? And yeah, that's great. Put a motorcycle or put whatever, a nice house on your vision board. But there's something that needs to be on that vision board that supersedes all of that stuff. And that is the image of Christ. To be like Him. That that's what we're looking at. And that's what we're becoming. Look in Hebrews chapter 12 in uh, uh, verse 1. He just finished talking about uh, you know, the, the, the faith hall of fame. And now he says, therefore, so based upon all these witnesses of faith he just covered, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. I have a question for you. Who's going to do the laying aside? Is the Lord going to do it for you? No. You have to choose to do that. You have to choose to break it off. I'm done. I'm finished with it. I'm laying it aside. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter are the author. He's the beginning and the end of our faith. For the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross. Now, the cross wasn't the joy He's talking about. In fact, He despised that. Read the next line. Despising the shame. There was no part of the cross or any of that that He thought was joyful. He's talking about what's coming after all of that. The brothers and sisters that are coming. Isaiah 53 talks about this at the end of the chapter. It mentions that he saw the light of what would come and counted it joy. So here, it says, for the joy that lay before him, what's he keeping his eyes on? See, he's keeping his eyes on the prize as well. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So is it important 
what we look at. Let's keep reading here, and we're going to begin to look at correction, at discipline. It says, Consider Him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have for, and have no, you have, it's a statement, you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. And this is the exhortation taken out of the Old Testament. In Psalms, uh, Proverbs 3, it says, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and punishes every son He receives. The Lord disciplines the one He loves and He punishes every son whom He receives. Now just so you know, discipline means to train. Like, like child training. The word punishment, it means scourge with a whip. With a whip. That's what it means. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you are not receiving discipline, you are not a son, is what he's saying. If you are not having the Lord discipline you, chastise you, correct you, then you are not a son. Let's say it a different way because some people get confused on this. The discipline of the Lord is exclusive. Exclusive to the Son. The world is not receiving the discipline of the Lord. The world may receive the judgment of the Lord, but you and I receive His discipline. So what, what we consider to be discipline to you and I as sons has to be exclusive to the child of God. It cannot be something that the world is experiencing. Because if, if being sick or, or you know, running your car into the ditch is the Lord disciplining you, well, the world experiences that as well. And since He said that all sons receive it, not the world, that means those things can't be the discipline of the Lord. It's exclusive to children. And sickness and disease and car accidents are not the discipline of the Lord. We'll look at what is the discipline of the Lord here in a moment. Let's keep reading in verse 9. Furthermore, let's, we're, we're going to be detectives and let's watch what is the purpose of discipline. What, what's our, what are we learning? To be true disciples. To become like Jesus. Okay, So let's watch. What's the purpose of this discipline? In, in verse uh, 9, Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But He, the Father, does it for our benefit so that we can share in His holiness. What is the purpose of the correction? It's to be trained to be holy. Holiness. Holiness, another definition of holiness or a definition I like of holiness is Christ-likeness. To be like Christ. Was He completely holy? Yes. Okay, be like Him. That would be holiness. 
He says it's for our benefit so that we can share or participate in His holiness. This is the goal of the discipline. If you want to be like Christ, there's going to be some discipline involved. He goes on, he says, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So it would be possible to receive the discipline of the Lord, but not be trained by it. And therefore not have that peaceful result of righteousness and holiness in your life. Is correction good for you? Yeah, I mean, if you need it, right? We used, uh, last week, week before, we read about the athletes that would train, right? Paul talked about the athletes that would bring their bodies under strict discipline in being disciples. Well, think about an Olympian. They go out there, they're already better than 99.9% of humanity at what they're training for. Yet they purposely go out and find the best critiquers to correct them and to examine them and to instruct them. And they go out and they, they try again and then the coach just corrects them again and continues to correct them because if they want to be the best that they can be, at their top potential, and you and I's top potential is the standard of Jesus Christ, it's going to take lots of correction. Proverbs again and again is full of the wise person loves rebuke, loves reproof, loves correction. Because you get better from it. You know the biggest thing that I have disliked about correction? The time it takes. The time. I like the end result. I don't like the time it took. You know, if I make a statement and you come and you, you criticize the statement, you say, well, I don't think that's scriptural because of X, Y, Z. Okay, now I've got homework to do. I've got some things. I've got to go. I need to go look at this closely again. I need to re-examine this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. But either way, I should get that figured out. I should look and take this to the Lord. and Maybe the person's right. And whether the Lord ends up correcting me on it, or maybe I was right all along, either way, at the end result of it is, that was good for me. It caused me to dig down and be sure of what I believe. Or, if I'm wrong, to change what I believe. So it's good for me, even though in the moment it doesn't feel nice, it's not confidence building, it now takes up the time I was going to use to do something else, I need to you know, examine this and dig into this. But we need to love those opportunities to grow. It's an opportunity to grow, to level up for you gamers. Go over to John 15. Let's, let's go a little bit further with this. To be a disciple of Jesus and to become like Him, you're going to take, you're going to need correction. John 15 and verse 1. Let's, let, me, let me say this. The way God corrects you, the way He disciplines you or, or chastises you is one, is with the Word, and two, is by other people. Someone might come along and rebuke you for something. They may or may not be right, but take it to the Lord. Examine it. Pray about it. Commit to at least do that. And, and go from there. Well, here in 
John 15, he begins out in verse 1. He says, he begins with, he makes a statement. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine. The true vine. So, speaking of discipleship, that you could follow the wrong vine. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He, the gardener, removes. And He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. In verse 2, you have both discipline and judgment present in the same verse. Judgment is being cut off of the vine. Separated. You're no longer that. In fact, down in verse 6 maybe, it talks about if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them up, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That's judgment. But in verse 2, he has something else other than judgment. He also has discipline. Pruning. Pruning. Snippity snip snip. Here you were doing so good, you squeezed out that beautiful bunch of grapes, and along comes the gardener, snippity snip snip. That hurts, but it's for your good to produce more fruit. Fruit of righteousness. To become more like Him. To become more like the vine. It's only as you are attached to the vine that you're going to produce that fruit as our eyes are on Him so we become like Him. Now, why would I say that the pruning, well, let's, or the word will, will prune you. The word will discipline you. In verse 3, he says, you are already clean, pruned, would be another way of saying that, because of the word I have spoken to you. The word of God will trim you up, will prune you, and chastise you. So if you want to be more like Jesus, how much pruning or correction can you take? If the the branch wants to produce more grapes and become a better representation of the vine, how much pruning is it willing to take? As much as it needs. That's right. Amen. As the Word prunes you, as you receive revelation and correction from the Word and from the Lord, you now have the choice to make your actions line up with that revelation and with that pruning effect. And that's being transformed. You know, Romans 12.2 says what? It's by, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your soul. That's your mind. Your, Your spirit's already born again. The renewing of your mind, right? So that the purpose is that you may discern the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. So there is a transforming effect that the Word will have on your thinking. But you will have to allow it to do that to you. You have to receive that revelation. You have to receive the correction. And then you have to put it into action. You know, we read that, I think, and sometimes we... we, Okay, so... It's by the renewing of the mind. So if I get enough Word into me, if I, if I read the Word enough, then, then I'm that. No, you still have to put it into action. Knowing the Word isn't good enough as far as intellectually knowing. You have to experientially know the Word. To be a doer of the Word. You know, when you act upon the Word, then the Word will set you 
free is how Jesus said it. So it's in your acting upon the Word. Knowing it in an experiential way. It's the difference between being a believer or a disciple. In fact, go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6, speaking of transformation. And I'll read to you out of 1 John. In 1 John 2, it says this. I had read this to you earlier. Whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete or perfect. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. These are all actions. That go so much further than just head knowledge. 2 Corinthians 6. Let's go down to verse 14. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or the giants with the cowboys? Was that, was that it? What? Okay, so see the parallels. Righteousness and lawlessness. Light, darkness. Verse 15. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Christ and the devil. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So believer versus unbeliever. And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God as God said. So your body is the temple of God. He says, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. The Lord's not going to do that for you. We're talking holiness. He's not going to do it for you. He says, do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And let's just keep right on reading, because Paul wrote this as, as one thought. He says, so then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us, someone say, that's me, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. In the fear of God. This will require revelation. To cleanse yourself. You cannot correct a problem you do not know that you have. You can't fix what you don't realize is broken. So it takes revelation. Lord, where do I need cleansed? Where do I need to purify myself? These are questions to ask Him. Let us cleanse ourselves. This falls on us to do it. And when you see it, here's the simple part, to become more like Christ, when you see it, do it. When you see it, act on it. Don't delay. Act on it. Cut it off. Don't associate with it. Whatever it is, judge yourself. Did you know it's better to judge yourself than be judged? In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about if we would judge ourselves, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged. It's a gift that God gave that you can examine yourself. He'll help you. 
And He won't do it in a condemning way. He'll do it in a gentle way that draws you to the Lord. Ask Him, help me, show me. Where, where do I need to become more like you? Holy, I said it means, I like to explain it as Christ-likeness, but you could also say it means it, it's clean, it's separate. To be holy means to be clean, to be, to be set apart, separate. It's, it's a special thing. Did you know that holiness or Christ-likeness requires boundaries? Lots of boundaries. You can't just let yourself do some of the things you'd like to do. Boundaries. Places you go. Things you do. People you associate with. You know, people will often say, well, Jesus is associated with sinners. Yeah, He went there to redeem them. He didn't go there to hang out with them in their debauchery. Tolerance is the first step toward conformity. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. What you tolerate, that's the first step. Doesn't mean you're going to conform to it. It's the first step towards it. It's time for you to be cautious if you're tolerating something. Let's look at our history. In just our last 15 years of television, you didn't see shows with the whole LGBTQ XYZ thing going on 20 years ago. It was rare to see that. But then they started pushing it. See, what you look at, you begin to become. It's, why it's important what you look at. If you tolerate something, that's the first step towards conforming to it. And they did this with that whole movement in television. Slowly by slowly, they kept amping it up, amping it up, amping it up, until now, it's something, wow, that show didn't have that in it. Right? It's just everywhere. Now it's gone so much further just in the last five years. We have like, it's been just exponentially getting worse and worse and worse. And all because it's tolerated. You know, way back in the military, it was a thing like, you know, they did that whole don't ask, don't tell thing with the gay people. Well, that then evolved into the next thing. And the next thing. And now we have trans and we've got, I don't know what kind of zoo we've gone on. And the whole thing is because it was tolerated and people didn't put a stop to it in the beginning. The enemy will get away with what you let him get away with. It's just that simple. In your life. We can't control what they put on TV. You can control what you watch or read. I mean, who would have thought that there's going to be a day where people who go in and try to take out pornography out of our schools that they're looked at as the extremists. But give an inch and a mile got taken. So we, you and I, how does this work on a personal level with our relationship with the Lord? What are you? This is where you ask the Lord. And you say, Lord, I want to purify myself. I want to walk in holiness. What am I tolerating that I should not be? To tolerate something doesn't mean that you are never around it. Or to not tolerate something doesn't mean you're never around it. Jesus didn't tolerate sin, but He was around people who were sinners. So you, you have to judge yourself on it. 
I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't be looking at or watching. What I am telling you is that you need to go to the Word and allow the Lord to correct you where you've gotten off in those areas. Say, I really shouldn't be looking at that or shouldn't be reading that or shouldn't be going there or shouldn't be hanging out with those people. You know, if you have a drug problem, you shouldn't be hanging out with your druggy friends because you'll get back into it. All right, let's close at First Peter. We're, uh, worship team, you can come up. We're talking about becoming like Him. To be a true disciple, we become like Him. We are being molded into His image. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, are you ready for action? Be sober-minded. That does not mean no, no laughing. Thank God for that. I'd have lots of repenting to do. Because I like to laugh. No, this means no drunkenness. Not being of an adult state of mind. An altered state of mind. Okay? And set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's brought to you? Hope and grace. You have hope in the grace that's ability that comes to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All you need is a greater revelation of Jesus, of who He is. That's all you need is just to see it more clearly. To see it more clearly. Jesus said if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. That word single means without folds. Let's say it a different way. It's not blurry. It's not double vision. It's single vision. As we have a single vision on Jesus, our whole body becomes full of light. We become like Him. In verse 8, or not verse 8, where were we? Verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. See, you're going to be held accountable to walk in the light that you have. Not the light you don't have, in the light that you know. That's what the Lord's going to hold you accountable to. Verse 15, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, and he quotes from the Old Covenant, Be holy because I am holy. That was what the Lord Himself said. The Father. It says if Let's skip down to verse 22. Since you have purified yourselves... Here it is again. Purify yourselves. How do you do this? By your obedience to the truth, to the Word. Jesus is the Word. If you love Me, you will obey My Word, He said. So this is how you purify yourself. This is how you are pruned by the Word. Since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. There it is again. The Word of God, it's alive, it's enduring. It'll take you the whole way if you'll take the Word and allow it to work in you. Verse 24, For all flesh, that's everyone in this room, everybody sitting here, 
All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Those of us that are older in the room have a greater realization of that than the 15-year-olds right now. Right? Places where there were no wrinkles, there's now wrinkles. But praise God, there is coming a day where all of those things are going to be renewed and revamped and souped up. It'll be a good day. Your body, a new body. All flesh is this way. It says, but, but, he contrasts it with something that's forever, endures forever. And that is the word of the Lord endures forever. This word is the gospel that's proclaimed to you. This word that endures forever. This word that will remold and reshape you and transform you. That you get revelation when you read the word. Every time you pick up the Bible, expect to receive the light and revelation of God to show you things, to remind you of things that maybe you've forgotten. I mean, I go back and listen to some of my old sermons and go, wow, that was good. I forgot that. I go back and take a note. Right? We forget. Your mind only holds so much. So we need to believe God for revelation or to remind you of what you did know but have forgotten. So we go from revelation, when He corrects us with the Word, we are transformed because we choose to become like Him. Because we're willing to go the whole way. You know, being a believer is completely free. But being a disciple costs you everything. It's completely free to just believe. No skin off your back. But to be a disciple, suddenly we're talking. We need the Word of God working in us and pruning us to become like Him and to mold us to be like Him. Stand with me if you would. So, I'd ask, how many of you are like Jesus? Then I said, what percentage of you is like Him? So let's just take a moment right now and reflect in our heart, in our spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, show you. If there be any things in your life that you need to cut off or separate from or turn from, make the decision right now to do it. By the way, in the book of John, 1 John, where we were reading and where he says anyone who sins doesn't know the Lord, the reason I know that, this, that he's not talking about a sin but rather a lifestyle of sin, is because he would be contradicting himself a chapter earlier when he says this. He says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an, we, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. So, if you've sinned, we have redemption from that. He's righteous. To forgive and just to forgive us our sins when we and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's just take that moment right now and just just sit before the Lord or stand before the Lord and and allow Him to minister to you. If there's something that you need to deal with, deal with it right away in your heart. And then after the service, if there's people you need to talk to, go talk to them. Be a true disciple and follower of Jesus. Father, I just ask You right now by Your Holy Spirit to illuminate within us 
You said that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So Lord, turn on the candle on the inside of us and show us right now if there be areas in our lives that you would have us to change, areas that we ought to cleanse ourselves and purify ourselves from. And I thank you for your faithfulness in this. All right, I'll just lead you in a prayer. If you would, just repeat after me. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers me and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning and that you abound in faithful love. Thank you for being good to me. Father, thank you for correcting me. I give you permission to correct me, to discipline me, that I might be more like you. Help me, Father, to become like you, to keep my focus on you. And when I begin to drift away and to look elsewhere, I ask you to arrest me. Give me revelation and understanding to walk with you in fullness of joy. And amen. Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you that you renew all things. That strength rises up. That your word is true. That you are faithful. You said you would never leave us, never forsake us. Father, we believe that. Thank you that you sent Jesus into the earth as the greatest gift of all time. Thank You, Lord, that You sent Him to be God with us. And we bless You. We thank You, Lord. Father, I invite Your presence right now to just shape us and mold us into the image that You would have us to be like Jesus. We yield ourselves, our lives, our thoughts, all that we have, all that we are, to you and you alone. And we bless you. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask for more of your spirit and presence. Lord, we know that with that comes greater responsibility and we're just asking you for grace upon grace. To walk as Jesus walked, to be his hands and feet, especially in this season since people are 
recognizing your birthday. Lord, I ask you to bless each one that's here. We just call joy and peace upon you in Jesus' name. As you go, go in power, go in victory, go in strength. Lord, I ask for a great night of rest for every person here, for peace being upon you when you go to sleep, and peace when you wake up. In Jesus' name, and amen. Well, one way that we love God is we love on each other, we check up on each other. How are you doing? Do you need prayer for anything? Be nosy. Bless you. Oh, do you have something? 75. Okay. Let's, let's uh, before we dismiss everyone, sing happy birthday to Karen. She turned 75 today. Lord, we thank you. Ha, we thank you for Karen. Thank you for giving her 75 years, Father. Thank you that you've given her life and health. And that even from tonight, Lord, that you would just bless her in ways that are just absolutely undeniably you. That your goodness would be the garment, like the garment of salvation. The calling card. Your goodness. The stamp. That everyone sees when they look at Karen. We thank you, Father, for it. Lord, we declare blessing upon her. Life and peace upon her. Lord, I ask you to return everything that the locust has stolen anytime it has stolen. And we call you blessed in Jesus' name. And amen. And if you would, just keep your attention up here for, for a moment. You are entering into a season of light. The light that brings revelation. My presence is upon you. Even though the darkness is creasing on the earth, my glory shall rest upon those that are mine, saith the Lord. You shall begin to shine forth in my kingdom. So go forth in my joy. Arise, shine, for your light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you saith the Lord. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You guys, we're in the house of the Lord. There's freedom here. There's victory here in the name of Jesus. Here in your presence, there's victory. There's freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, amen. Amen.
Tis the season to be jolly. Did you know that season lasts all year long? It's not just one month. Hallelujah. Someone say, victory is mine. Amen. All right. We love you guys. Go in the reverence and holiness of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International, where everybody should be and glad that you are. Amen? (laughs) Oh, so look forward to Saturday night to be with all of you. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Love to encourage our whole worship night together with the Word of the Lord. And the book of Psalms is uh, certainly one of our favorite books where we do that. And in Psalms 145, You know, a lot of times I'll read the Psalms and I'll look for the nature of the Father. I kind of just single it out. And Psalms 145 has so much of his nature in it. I will exalt you, my God, my King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable, unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. The Father is good and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. You know, sometimes I find myself saying, Father, you are such a kind man. He's such a kind man. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. My mouth, say my mouth, shall speak the praises of the Lord. Boy, if you ever feel a little down and out, just open your Bible to the book of Psalms and start just reading it. It won't take you but a couple, 30 seconds before your whole atmosphere changes. It's like oil and water. Emotions that are not in line with the Holy Spirit come in line when you're reading His Word. Amen? Well, let's stand up together family of God, and let's praise the Lord, spirit, soul, and body tonight. Right now, let's just lift up our hands to the Lord, just you and Him. Imagine yourself there before the throne. 
And I'm going to pray and actually just repeat after me. Father, here I am. I present myself before you. I cast every care upon you. I will not carry them anymore. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, I'm asking you to fill me full and overflowing. Thank you for your joy. I receive your joy. And I bless you, Lord. You are awesome. I am full of strength. I am full of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Lord. His hand is upon me. I walk in the power of His might. I am a conqueror. I am an overcomer. I will win and not lose. For the greater one lives in me. Hallelujah. If you're willing to say it and believe it and receive it, you can't be in any state except joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Not the sadness of the Lord. Not the uh, ho-humness of the Lord. Have you ever heard of the ho-humness of the Lord? He hasn't either. Right? So let's just say it again. I am full of the Spirit of the Lord. You know, in Luke, Luke 11, he said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, He will give it. He will give it. So how many of you asked for the Holy Spirit a little bit ago? All right, then. That means that He has given it. Even if you didn't feel anything, even if you didn't have goosebumps, even if you didn't have a cold flash, hot flash, some sort of weird flash, nothing. It just means that you're too ignorant to realize what the Holy Spirit feels like. But that's flesh for you. So take it by faith and say, I am full of the Holy Spirit. And out of that place of strength tonight, we're going to go from faith to faith, glory to glory, and go further with the Lord than we've gone in the past. Look at your neighbor and say, tonight, we're going further. Tonight, you're going further with the Lord. All right, hug on someone, love on someone. Let's send the children to their classes. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be here tonight. I trust you had a good time last night at the Christmas party. Let's give a big round of applause to Debbie and all her helpers. I know the Schumann family and Nicole, different ones. We had a great time, so thank you so much for all that you did to serve the body of Christ like that. Is there anyone here for the very first time? We'd just like to welcome our guests with us. Anyone here for the first time? All right, I don't see any hands. Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord tonight, so if you need an envelope for your cash giving, you can raise your hand, and our ushers will bring one to you. If you're giving by credit card, Please fill out all of the blanks. How many know there's different places in Scripture that says the just will live by faith? Amen? The just live by faith. Well, to live by faith, there's a big question that we need to answer in our hearts pretty quickly. 
And that is, is who is your trust in? Who's your provider? Who are you relying on to make it all happen? It's, it's a good question. You really need to get that settled and get that straightened out. See, many people, they have, they're looking at their job. They're looking at the paycheck. They're looking at maybe even themselves to provide, to be their sustainer, to be the one where their trust is in, that sees them through. You know, maybe in their skill, maybe in their education. But see, all of that, that's trust misplaced. People will let you down. But the Lord won't. You can put full confidence in Him and in His Word. And, you know, I mean, even you'll let yourself down. Because we're flesh. So we can't have our trust in things that are of the natural realm. It's got to be in something more solid, more rock-solid, firm foundation, can't be moved, can't be shaken, because he is a good provider. He is a good father. So turn to Matthew chapter 6. We really need to have our heart just established that he knows, he cares, he will provide. So in Matthew chapter 6, let's, we're going to start in verse 25, but he, was, he had just got done saying and bringing out how you can't have two masters. You can't love both God. You can't love money or serve money and serve God. Two masters don't work. One's going to pull the other way. One's going to override. You've got to decide. So because of that, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? Or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? See, life is about more than just existing. It's about more than just staying alive. It's about more than just keeping your family alive. And your body is for more than just holding down a suit of clothes. Right? We're to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. It's not just a coat rack. See, well, what is, what is then? What is the life about then? What's about your purpose? We all have a purpose. We all have a plan that God created for us to walk in. That's what life's about. I mean, but these other things, aren't they legitimate responsibilities, legitimate things? Sure, but they are not. You know, the thing is, what's the question that we need to answer is, what's consuming most of my thoughts? Am I most consumed with the existing, you know, staying alive part? Or am I most consumed with what's my purpose? And am I walking in? Am I thinking about that the most? So where were we? Okay, verse 25 says, look at the birds of the air. We're supposed to learn something from them. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. I'll just hold on for a second. He's not saying don't work. He's not saying don't do anything. We have scriptures that say don't be idle. We have scriptures that say work with your hands. We have scriptures that say provide for your families. So don't read that, that he's telling us don't sow, don't reap. We have scriptures that talk about sowing, don't we? I mean, we just we read them all the time. Um, but, he's, but he's bringing out a truth here. These birds aren't even looking ahead. They're not even setting aside and saying, you know, we might want some supper next week. So let's, they're not thinking that way. 
Actually, they are doing some work. They're digging around the dirt with their beak, getting those worms. I mean, they're doing something. But anyways, he's saying, look at them. They're not doing all this stuff. They're not carrying a lot of weight of responsibility. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Who's feeding them? Your heavenly, your heavenly Father. Doesn't even say there. Your Father, my Father, is feeding them. And then he says, are you not much more valuable than them? Are you more valuable than birds? Then how much more? Is he going to provide for you and I? So that we don't have to carry this stress and this weight and this, oh my goodness, does he even know? See, sometimes we act like God, does, maybe he doesn't even know about my situation. God, have you seen this mess? He says you are much more valuable than them and he's feeding them. He's going to care for you. He's going to provide for you. Nothing's lost on him. He's seen your situation. Where was we at? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? See, worry's not going to profit anything. Ain't going to do one bit of good. So why worry about clothes? He goes on and talks about the clothes and, and the flowers of the fields, how they're so arrayed so beautifully. God's not into, you know, well, I don't want to get off too far of a tangent, but... He, he doesn't just dress you in brown and boredom stuff. He wants you to look good and represent well. I mean, the flowers of the field, do they really need to be that lavish and extravagant? Yeah, because God likes that. It's okay for you to like that. Right? So he's saying they're just here for a moment, here today, gone tomorrow. So how much more will he... Clothe you, you of little faith. So do not worry saying. I said, do not worry saying. You demonstrate worry by saying, just like you demonstrate faith by saying. Well, okay, I just won't say it, just won't say it. Let's think, just think all these worry thoughts. No, you know what? It's going to come out of your mouth if you just let it cycle, you know, and spin. It's going to come out. <laughs> Change what's turning in here. Where are we at? Verse, uh, let's see. Do not worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. So you remember that question about who's your master? Well, they've chosen their master. They're running after the money, after the, their agendas, their things. That's why we have to answer that question. And get it settled. Who's my master? Who am I serving? Says the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. See, it, none of that's caught him by surprise. It's like sometimes we forget that. We think that he doesn't know what we're up against. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I've done it. I've thought, well, God, I don't know. It doesn't seem like nothing's moving down here. Nothing's happening. Do you know? No, he knows, and we need to make sure, we need to get our hearts settled, believe and trust that he knows, that he knows that he sees, and that he will provide, that he desires to see us well provided for. And that's why we have to answer that question, who's my master? Who am I serving? Who am I taking orders from? Because if you don't, you're going to take orders from 
well, hey, I don't know. We've got to, I got to handle this. So now I'm not checking in with the Lord. I'm just doing what makes sense because, well, we got to do something. My trust is in me and my efforts. And, and, and well, we got to, my kids can't starve. They need shoes. I don't know from food to shoes. But anyway, so you got to get that settled about who your trust is in. You know, when I think of, when you're answering this question about who am I serving, who is my master, that's where tithing comes in. Because if he's not first, generally people that aren't putting the Lord first aren't really wanting to tithe to a Lord that's not first. If he's my master, then out of that heart belief, everything comes first. So my tithes are going to come first over my bills. Because I'm demonstrating, I have a heart revelation that he is the Lord. He's my master. He's number one. Not all these other things and pressures that I think, well, okay, you know, let's pay all this stuff. And if we have leftover, well, then I'll give something to the Lord. No, see, that, that's not first. And so when you're seeking the kingdom, well, I missed a whole verse, didn't I? He says he knows that, he need, that we need these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so that's what I was, got ahead of myself. When you seek first the kingdom of God, one of the things that you're going to have to answer this question is, is, is he my God, and is he my provider? And then if he is, a demonstration of that is to return the tithe, to return the tenth to him. I think about the... Um, Remember that widow woman in Zarephath? Elijah comes to her, and actually the Lord had been dealing with her, saying that he had prepared this, you know, that I'd have to read the story, but he had been dealing with her heart before Elijah ever got there. And Elijah said to her, you know, she's out there getting those sticks. She says, we're going to make our last meal and die. And Elijah said, you know, make us a cake first, make me a cake first, then you make yours, because the Lord's going to do this. He's going to provide the... Oil's not going to run out. The flour's not going to run out. She had a choice to make. Who my, who's my master? Is the Lord God or is he not? It takes faith. Who am I putting first? In natural things. In provision things. She had to decide, am I running after the peg, what the pagans are running after? What will we eat? What will we drink? How are we going to live? Or am I going to put the Lord first? follow and obey him. That, she demonstrated who was her master right there. Let me give you one more scripture. Turn to Psalms chapter 55 verse 22. This was really the verse that the Lord gave me when I went sat down to what do you have for us tonight Lord? And this just kind of came from this diving board jumping off point. Verse 22 of Psalms 55 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Amen Amen is right. He will never let the righteous be shaken. He will sustain you. Cast the care of it on the Lord. And so let's return the tithe to him, knowing he's our provider, trusting that he will provide. He sees nothing's taken him by surprise, and he's got this. Can we do that? Amen. I don't know. That was for somebody. It was, maybe it was for me. All right, take a hold of your tithe, and let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Lord, thank you so much for that we can put our full confidence in you, that we don't have to carry the weight of these things, that we are so much more valuable than flowers and birds, and yet you care for those amazingly well. And so, Lord, we just cast the cares of, of whatever these things are over on you, and we thank you for meeting every need in this house. Lord, as part of our honor of you and our worship of you, we return the tenth. And we thank you for provision. We thank you for protection in the name of Jesus. And amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give to the Lord. All right. Tomorrow, in Rich- we are having a service in Richmond tomorrow. However, if you're planning on going please speak with Pastor Sid because it's not going to be at this address tomorrow. There's a whole lot of shifting that had happened. So if you're going to Richmond, please speak with the pastor and he will tell you what that address is. As we've mentioned before, you'll see in our bulletin, we have um, our CWI Christmas giving that we've talked about just being on a mission to bless people, whether in the congregation or as you go about your day in the town or however. But we have a box in the back of, for you to write down uh, the, the ways you've participated in this Christmas project. So the, the things that you've done, keep it anonymous. We're not looking for names, but we want to see how we've been the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas season. So if you want to participate in that, you can write down what you did and um, put it in the box. There's papers there, and you'll see that in the back lobby.